0: Hello, Liturgy Guy listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have another great episode for you. But first, I want to let you know about an end-of-the-month sale that we are having for our online study program. So if you want to take any of our classes, you can get them half off if you go to liturgy.online. Use the coupon code October50, and you'll get half off any of our courses, especially the brand-new course that we just launched with Father David Mowry, Preaching as a Sacrament, a brand-new, fabulous course. This week, we dive back into the catechism to talk about the liturgy and what the catechism says about the liturgy. So without further ado, episode seven of season five of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy.
1: I'm going to talk to you today about the mass. Good morning, Jesse and Chris. Good morning. I'm a morning evening. person today. You two are groggy, but I am wide awake. I'm not excited. groggy. I, <laughs> I have a cup of Holy Spirit here. Yeah. I'm ready to go.
0: I have a pair of cleats for a game I'm going to play <laughs> later. Um, know, when I lived in
1: Charlottesville, there was a church called Church of the Holy Comforter. It was Catholic ooh, church. Ooh, that used sounds to be warm. The, I know. It used to be called the Holy Paraclete, and I guess nobody thought that meant anything. So now they named it the Holy Comforter. Everybody thinks it's a church about...
0: Well, I Wait, guess yeah. I had a priest <sighs> come God and bless. And I had a priest come and bless my home, and he and he blessed uh, your my bedroom. So I guess I have a holy cover. Oh,
1: there you go. Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, all right. So before we get uh, back into the catechism on liturgy, uh, I just want to hear a little bit of updates uh, on your respective uh, organizations. So Dennis, you want to start with anything that's happening? with Benedictine and the Center for Beauty and Culture. And please talk about how you're coming out here to have some fun.
1: Okay, well, let me tell you first how awesome Benedictine is. So yesterday was the Feast of John Paul II. And so they decided to have a Eucharistic procession through the campus and then to have Eucharistic adoration all night, specifically to pray for the upcoming presidential election. How is that? How cool is that? Other schools would be like carrying signs and setting things on fire. Here we're like pray all day. So anyway, that's it. What else? Next week, Tuesday, less than a week from the date of this release of this podcast, the Center for Beauty and Culture is having its second public event. It's called Sounds That Surround the Silence. Isn't that cool? It's a live demonstration of choral composition. We have a very talented musician here named uh, Timothy John Thoraldson. He's the director of choral activities here at Benedictine. Great composer, big fan of Arvo Part, if you've ever heard of him. He has this kind of mystical-sounding music that's sort of popular in the Catholic world. He has a mystical-sounding name, too. Yeah, Arvo Part. He's some kind of Eastern European. Anyway, so there's a little poem that he's going to set to music right in front of everybody called The Father's Arm, Brachia Patris. And then we're going to take text from the audience, and he's going to compose on the spot to some words. And I'm hoping someone will give something funny, like the ingredients list from a can of soup or, I don't know, who knows, directions on how to turn your phone on restore it to the factory settings, see if he can set it to music. So that'll be very cool.
0: And well, you're, you're then coming I,
1: out here? I'm coming to Illinois, back to the old stomping grounds to um, give a talk. November, I think it's November 11th. It's the Wednesday for the Lumen Christi Institute, and that's um, at seven o'clock in the evening. It's in Hinsdale at the Ruth Lake Country Club. And I'm going to talk about ornament decoration in the column, things I love to talk about. Chris did one of these in their series. How did that go, Chris? Anybody
2: show up for you? It was, oh, it was fantastic. It was a very good evening. We talked yeah, about it. Yeah, I heard they have lot. lots of questions and they really liked the stuff. Yeah, yeah. Talking about uh, Gardini's The Spirit of the Liturgy*.
1: Yeah. And then the next day I'm going to do a little private presentation at a church that wants to renovate. And then coming to, back to the Liturgical Institute,
0: baby. Oh, yeah. What to are teaching you teaching for us, Dennis? Two whole online
1: certificate classes, one on the theology of music, which will include some of the theology taught to be by the one and only Christopher Carstens on the meaning of hmm. word. Second so
0: secondhand word. information sounds well, real he great.
1: stole it from <laughs> Colonel Redson. <Ratzinger>, <laughs> oh, um, okay. Good story. That's a tertiary source. It's true. Um, and then one on enculturation. So what does it mean to have enculturation Cactus and Serape's in the Sanctuary, or is
0: it something more? I, my vote is something more, but I guess you'll have to find out when we publish that course. Chris, yep. what do you got going on uh, at Adoramus? Some We had uh, some big stuff happening with the uh, website, right?
2: Yeah, we uh, we have a new website now that uh, we think is pretty nice, so you can check that out at Uh We're still... Uh, f- Still working out some of the some of the kinks. We have a kind of a, a blessing and a curse, which is called twenty five years of back issues. And those uh, th- those take a lot to get to back. Uh, to, My to, dad to, had
0: twenty five years of back issues. Back, stuff, he, <laughs> I have back <laughs> issues right now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know what
1: happened yesterday, Jesse? I called Chris to ask if he knew the list of the hierarchy of church documents and which they were all what they were all for. He's like, "Oh no, I don't have a chart like that." So I googled it while I'm talking to him. It was on in the back issues of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was in yeah. 2002 or something, so it was a long time ago.
0: You mean, you mean Chris didn't download all of those past articles into his mind when he became the uh, uh, editor? Yeah.
2: He has not yeah. memorized the
1: entire encyclopedic back list. When,
2: when Aristotle said uh, the mind is in a way all things, he never met me. So, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Well, excellent. at, at uh, Adoramus, we have uh, we're working on the November issue, which is uh, uh, no joke. I think maybe one of the best ones. We have an article Ooh. on Leviticus and its lessons for the liturgy and holy living by Vern Steiner from uh, the Mayus Institute in Lincoln. We've got one from Kurt, Father Kurt Belsol, who's the liturgy director at the North American College, on what to expect liturgically from your newly ordained priest. We have one by Father Anthony Steppel, who uh, works at St. Patrick's Seminary in San Francisco, on the human need for indoor places to worship. He's reflecting on some of these outdoor masses and outdoor ordinations and wondering if this is going to be the new normal. Mm. Uh, Another great one by Father Dylan Schneider, who's a priest in uh, Missouri on the use of Latin in uh, the liturgy. So we've got, Really good stuff. We have another uh, liturgy uh, quiz on the Roman Missal that I'll roll out for you, fellas. Uh, so, really so
0: can you send that to me before you give it to us live on the podcast? Uh, no. Also, no. can you have the answers be straightforward and not like...
2: Oh, are st- you are <laughs> whining about that? Sore loser.
0: Hey, we're all liturgiologists here. We have to
2: figure out what are the right answers. <laughs> so
0: uh, good. We have, another very-
2: stuff. we have things going on there, too.
0: Awesome. All right, gentlemen, today, big, big Catholic news. We're going to talk about Pope Francis's comments on the civil law and the lit. No, just kidding. We're not going to talk about that at all. We're just going to go right back into the catechism. (laughs) This is called liturgy, guys, not
1: (laughs) people. Uncertainty, guys. But
0: uh, we... we, Did not travel very far into the catechism on. And
1: it was still awesome. I listened to that podcast. It was good. Chris is smart. Did
2: you listen to all these, Dennis, before they go out? I listened to all
1: of them before they go out and I listened to them again afterward.
0: Wow. But but Dennis, you had mentioned there's a lot of groundwork that's done in the beginning of these to make sure that uh, we're looking at it the right way.
1: Chris is the king of backstory.
0: So what what number are we going to – or did you want to give a quick summary of the first two paragraphs before we get into the well, next one?
1: Well, we got through 60, 1066 and 1067, but let's just see what 1068 says. That can be our our uh, our background because it's very clear. It's talking about the Paschal mystery. God saved us. God sent his son. God destroyed death. He rose from the dead. And you're like, okay, well, that's kind of nice. Jesus did all that stuff a long time ago. But then 68, 1068 just hammers it home, right? It's this mystery – of Christ that the church proclaims and celebrates in liturgy. Now, I don't know if people think of that all the time. It's like, oh, I've got to go to mass because it's the duty I owe to God for creating me and I have to do this or else I'll feel bad or it'll be a mortal sin. But spin it on its head and you say, the Paschal mystery, God who loved us enough to send his son to bring us into his own divine life and to share his divine powers with us and bring us into the dialogue of the Trinity wants that application to happen in the liturgy. And that's what liturgy is about. It's, it says the work of our redemption is accomplished. So sort of like Christ put all the money in the bank, you know, at the resurrection. And now we have to go and sort of make our, uh, or take our deposits out of the bank so we can share in that divine life too. And so the liturgy is the doing. Imagine if Michael Jordan not only was awesome as Michael Jordan, but he set up a system where we could all become Michael Jordan. If like you go to the Michael Jordan basketball camp or something, <laughs> not just for fun, but actually to become as good as Michael Jordan, but you'd have to go to the camp and do it. That's what liturgy is. And that's what we're trying to do is participate in that divine life and become like God.
0: Chris, would go, to the, Chris would go to the Dennis Rodman camp, I think. Uh, <laughs> he wants to go to the Dennis McNamara camp. <laughs> oh,
2: week. I like it. Uh, let, let me press that analogy a little bit more. Uh, so imagine you were going to go to the, 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 Michael, the Michael Jordan basketball camp. What would make that camp especially awesome and helpful?
1: If we actually learned this stuff well without
0: frivolous distractions. And if yep. we immediately got the same body type.
2: Well, yeah, but what, what if what if you showed up at the camp and a number of things could happen? They could be showing videos of Michael Jordan playing basketball games or giving lessons. Or you could go there and maybe there was Dennis Rod, Rodman or Phil Jackson or something like that telling you about Michael Jordan. Or you actually or, play, play with Michael Jordan. Or you could go there and there was actually Michael Jordan there to demonstrate and show you how to do it, or you could go there and there's Michael Jordan. He'd like, he'd be like taking your elbow. So, no, you got to keep your elbow in when you shoot and things like that. That's liturgy, there, guys. That that's Ooh. well, that's kind of the liturgy. When you go to the liturgy, it's not simply about Jesus who did these things two thousand years ago. It's not simply. The grace of Jesus, the power of Jesus who is there that he's, as Dennis said, kind of deposited in the bank. When you go to the liturgy, it is actually Jesus present, personally and active doing the salvific work he did then before your very eyes today. That's how awesome the liturgy Mm -hmm. is. It, It is the it is the real deal that is unfolding before your eyes.
1: And you get to become Christ in the process. That's where it takes it up another notch there. It isn't just learning what Michael Jordan knew, knew. It's actually becoming God, acting as Christ, participating in that reality. And that's why the word liturgy means the word liturgy, right? That's paragraph 1069 there. And, you know, sometimes there's some confusion about what liturgy means. Back in the olden days of the 80s and 90s, everybody said liturgy was work of the people. That was a very common thing uh, to say. Because, you know, the etymology of liturgy, right, Chris? Oh, that's
0: oh, yeah. a different That's a different episode. We're not doing oh, that. but
1: it's right there. In the <laughs> in there. Well, it's, what is it, Laos and Ergon? Mm-hmm. What is, what's that all about, Christoph von Kostens?
2: Uh, Laos is uh, where we, it means people. It's mm-hmm. where you get the word uh, laity or laic or laicize. Uh, so Laos is people. And uh, Ergon or Ergia, I don't know the the Greek. So it's a Greek term. Mm-hmm. Uh, it means uh, work, so... If you have an ergonomic work device, yeah. so you don't get uh, 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 25 years of back issues, it helps your lumbar. lumbar uh, <laughs> nice
0: callback. Nice right. callback.
2: And it's related to the word
1: energy too, right? Ergonomic.
2: Yeah, yeah. In ergia. Yeah.
1: So if yeah. liturgy is the work of the people, it kind of sounds like that. But there's this funny thing: these prepositions and other little ways to interpret it. It's either work of the people, or Chris.
2: Uh, work done in the name of or on behalf of the people.
1: Ding, ding, sure. ding. I don't have my bell, but if I did, I would. Ding I think, that
2: it, for- think of it this way. If I said, This is Dennis's picture, Dennis's picture, that can mean two things. It can mean either one, Dennis owns it. Mm-hmm. It's a picture of uh, Benedictine uh, campus, and Dennis mm-hmm. happens to own it. It's Dennis's picture. Or it can mean Dennis is the one who's uh, within the frame. It's a nice, picture of And I think when you say the, the liturgy is the people's work. It's not in the sense principally that they own it. It's not, it's not ours. It's not the people's. It is rather we're kind of the, the, the recipients, the subjects of it. It's a work done our, on our behalf or in our name. So when we say the liturgy is the people's work. It's, it's God's work done for us. I don't know if that's, so, also, uh, are you
0: are you saying that the liturgy is basically a selfie?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Leave uh, it to me <laughs> to take these profound
0: <laughs> insights and boil them down into uh, pop culture references. But well, see
1: what the possible distortions are. One is it's the work of the people, so the people kind of save themselves by busying themselves at liturgy, or it's the work of Christ, and the people just sit there while Christ does it. We got to get those both together because the word means a work done by the people and on behalf of the people, right? So in the mystical body of theology, Christ is doing the work, but we're members of that body. So we do it in a real way, even as Christ is the one who's really doing it. And so the catechism makes the point that originally it meant a public work or a service on behalf of the name of the people. So I've never seen a footnote for this, but people often say like a garbage collector was a liturgist and a teacher was a liturgist because they were doing work on behalf of the city. Which is why oftentimes it'll say divine liturgy or sacred liturgy because you're making sure that it's this work that's the sacred work. Um, and it's called the work of God, right? Opus Dei. This is God's work in saving us. It's Christ saying to the Father, hey, Father, remember you sent me to heaven? I mean, you sent me from heaven <laughs> to earth, and I gathered up the 12 tribes, and I brought everybody back to you, and now they're members of the mystical body, and I'm giving them into the dialogue of the Trinity. This is why the Eucharistic prayer is not said to us, right? It's said to the Father because it's Christ's work, and we say it to the Father, too, to join in that work. And so what does the catechism say? Through the liturgy, Christ, our redeemer and high priest, the offerer of us, Continues that work of redemption, in, with, and through his church. So, the redemption's done. I mean, Christ has conquered death, but it has to be applied over time to new people who are when they're born, new situations, and uh, that's what liturgy's doing when we get to do it.
2: Now, it gives us a little taste too about see if Christ is present. So we know who Jesus is, and He's present and working uh, for us, working our redemption. It's that what where the catechism's going to take us. Yeah. as we hope it would is well what is he what is his work what is it that he's doing that is present and what is it that he's doing that we are supposed to do too and again a lot of uh, what the catechism will do is explain rather uh, clearly what that work is but it gives us a hint of this in 1070 uh, uh, so this is the uh, Oh, yeah, this is a good one. So right at 1070, in the New Testament, the word liturgy refers not only to the celebration of divine worship. See, which is what we might think. Oh, well, liturgy is when you go and pray and ritualize and ceremonialize and things like that. It refers to more than that, but also to the proclamation of the gospel and to active charity. Mm -hmm.
1: That's Christ's work, too, in the world,
2: right? Yeah. So what is worship one is a proclamation of the gospel and three is doing charitable actions. Now Jesse, what are these this is a this is a f- uh, well-known um, oft heard trio of things on liturgy guys podcast. What do these three things represent? <laughs> Priest prophet and king. Right, the munera yeah. Christi, the 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 prophetic office, the priestly office and the kingly office. So it hmm. continues uh, in all of these situations, it is a question of service or the, the word here, I suppose Dennis is ergon or ergia, it's a prep, uh, matter of work of God and neighbor. In a liturgical celebration, the church is servant in the image of her Lord, the one Leitergos. So Jesus is called here in this paragraph and in others too, and in the tradition, Jesus is called the liturgist. So in the letter to the Hebrews, for example, I think this is chapter, Six or maybe it's chapter eight. Might be chapter one. I don't know. Uh, it calls uh, Christ the the Lightergos, the the liturgist. We have a new liturgist who has entered into the the liturgy of the sanctuary. And so, if liturgy is a work done in the name of or on behalf of the people, uh, Jesus is called the liturgist because he's the principal worker working on behalf of the people for the glory of God. And now the church, who is her image, her body is similarly called a liturgist because she performs an a work on behalf of the people. And it says just to wrap up this uh, paragraph, she shares in Christ's priesthood, worship, which is both prophetic proclamation and kingly service of charity. So the church too has kind of a trifold job description, each element of which is considered liturgical. Because when she proclaims the good news, when she serves people, when she offers prayer, these are all works done in the name of or on behalf of the people for the glory of God and the sanctification of the world. So the church, too, is a liturgist. So I, I have a
0: quick question. Why, why go through all of this? Right. So like, why, you know, why are we, why are we created? Why did, you know, God had to know that we were going to fall. We're going through all this stuff, thousands and thousands of years, uh, you know, all through this stuff so that you and I can sit around this microphone and have a conversation about work and redemption and saving grace and all of this stuff. It seems like an awful lot of work.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is the mystery of the Christian redemption, isn't it? Why did God didn't just snap his fingers and it was all done? Why do he have to go through time and make it work? I have an idea. What do you think, Chris?
2: Well, we're uh, I'm teaching a course for Jesse on the liturgical movement. We read this past week, uh, Reynolds Hillenbrand's presentation at one of the annual uh, liturgical weeks. And it's called, uh, uh, I think maybe you've read this too, uh, Dennis. It's called uh, the new life, the new life. It's about the new life in Christ. And he talks about, he makes this claim. He says, you know, you look around the world and it seems like everything's going to pot. And things are so awful and there's wars and there's uh, famines and there's uh, pandemics and there's things like that. He says, but the world is in a better state now than it was if the fall had never happened. What? there. There is more potential for joy, happiness, holiness, divinization, godliness today than there was in the Garden of Eden. Boy, I got some sinning to do then. (laughs) So at, at, at first blush, that doesn't seem the case. But he says, because of this great plan of the mystery, which is what 1066 and 1067 says, you know, with the fall, and the, this is basically, it seems to me, a commentary on that line from the Easter Exaltat, the O Felix Culpa. Yeah. You know, because of the fall and the coming of the Redeemer, the, the the world is fraught with more potential for awesomeness now than it had been before because of the grace that's available to us in the intimacy that is possible for us to have with God, with the coming of Christ and his Paschal Mystery. Right. So why did God go through all this trouble? Well, that's the plan of the mystery. But um, if Monsignor Hillenbrand is right, part of the reason he did it is to bring us into a closeness with himself that otherwise wouldn't have been possible. So there are great uh, uh, potentialities for becoming uh, greater saints. Now, this is what Hillenbrand says. You can become a greater saint today than you ever could have had you still be living in the garden.
1: Yeah. Can you imagine you're, you're a small glass, right? And there's no fallenness, but your glass is pretty small. Even when it's full, you're happy enough, but it's it's full. Then you suddenly you get a possibility to be a big glass or an ocean and it's not full yet, but boy, the capacity is even more. And I think part of the reason time has to happen, salvation has to happen in time. You know, Dr., our friend, Dr. Fagerberg wrote a book called The Christian Meaning of Time. And he called time a creature, which is interesting. We think creatures have legs and they walk around. But he says time is a creature that God made so that we who have fallen intellects could take all the time we need to decide for or against God to say yes or no. Angels didn't need that, which is why they fell at the instant of their creation. And so it has to happen over time so that freely and lovingly we can say yes to God without compulsion or fear and have opportunities for conversion and and all of that. How much time did it take to win over your lovely bride, Jesse?
0: Uh, about one week, but then also <laughs> we had to take a break during our engagement and I had to reconvince her to marry me. So, yeah. so that's, another, that, that's another podcast. Though.
1: If that courtship hadn't had the time it needed for her to come to see how wonderful you are, then, uh, it may not have happened. Right. So time was your friend. Sure, in that yeah, yeah. So here we are at 1070, right? There's a big long quote from batting two. We don't have to go through all of it, but it does bring back the wonderful memories of going through sacrosanct and concilium in one of our previous seasons. So it says the liturgy then is seen as the exercise of the priestly office of Jesus Christ. Liturgy isn't just us sitting through a boring homily or even an awesome homily or getting the kids in line or stop hitting your sister or sit over on the other side of me and get in the car and all the things that it takes to get to church. There's this phrase here. It's the presentation of man's sanctification under the guise of signs perceptible to the senses. We say, okay, this is the representation of the sacrifice of Christ. Why isn't there a lot of blood? Why isn't there a cross? Why isn't there a Golgotha? Well, for it's not really proper to, you know, crucify Christ every day, every Sunday, literally. So it's in the form of a rite, a ceremonial rite. And then these signs are knowable to us and they're appropriate to each of those. And um, this is how liturgy works. It's entering into the same reality of Christ, but doing it in a different way. If you went to Michael Jordan's camp, you're not doing it the same way as it was in the NBA, right? It had to be in a different form that's appropriate to you, rather than 50,000 people watching you and TV coverage, right? That would be a little too, too much. And so you go and do it in this sacrificial meal. And uh, so it says, no other action of the church can equal its efficacy. So no other prayer is as good as the, the liturgical prayer, no matter how good your rosary is or your chaplet or your May devotions or anything, which is why for years they wanted you to do Mass at Mass. Don't pray at mass, pray the mass, right? Say the words, sing the words. I don't no, know. My rosary
0: game thing. is on lock though. It is good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great,
1: but don't let it substitute for your, okay, uh, got your it. liturgy game. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. Chris, 1071. 1071. Liturgy as the source of life. What does it say there? Uh, As the work of Christ, uh, liturgy is also action of the church. It makes the church present, manifests her as a sign between God and man, engages the faithful, the new life of the community, and involves a conscious, active, and fruitful participation of everyone. Everyone. All right. What does that mean, especially that it makes
1: the church present? Liturgy makes the church present. Isn't the church just... People who show up and they're sitting in the pews. Isn't the church present before the liturgy starts?
2: Certainly, is I wonder if it's like, uh, you know, Dennis is a teacher and you're still a teacher even when you're not teaching, when you're sitting at home watching whatever it is that you watch these days. Or you're going to, uh, to the store to pick up your raviolis or whatever it is. You, yeah. You're still a teacher but you're most uh when when you've actual when you're in the midst of actualizing your teacherness that's the ontology- when the students are there and we've started class that's right you are most uh, ontologically uh, you're most expressing your ontological reality as teacher when ah, you are doing those things yeah. and I think just as for Christ I mean Christ did a lot of things over the 33 years but the one thing that most fully revealed his uh, redeemerness is is the paschal mystery and so then the church in her image similarly most comes to life and reveals herself when she is doing liturgical things making present and celebrating the paschal mystery so that's when she is most animated. That's when she is most alive. and I suppose you know the, the thing is the cells of the mystical body then too, are most to themselves when uh, they're they're actively participating in the church's uh, celebration of the Paschal mystery. Right.
1: and this is where the word assembly comes in. We've talked about this a few times. Gathering is just getting everybody in a lump. Assembling is putting yourself hierarchically in the order to be Christ and to do what Christ does. And so when everybody's home on Sunday morning getting ready, they haven't assembled yet as the mystical body. Then suddenly they're all in the right seat. They're all taking their liturgical role. And what happens? The mystical body just kind of appears because all the parts have assembled in the right place. And then when they do it, and that's why it involves what it says here, the conscious active participation of everyone is to let this full reality of the mystical body um, come together. How does the class come together? The students are all in their dorm rooms and I'm in my office. Then suddenly Everybody comes together to their seat. We start teaching and suddenly the teaching process, um, it happens. Well, of course the but, last, Oh yeah, go ahead, Chris.
2: Well, but, you know, um, still like, uh, so your classroom at uh, Benedictine, I mean, you were describing some of the things that, uh, that they're doing down there. I mean, they don't just have classes and that's, that's right. it. There's I I all wish these other activities on a campus that, uh, kind of extend the life of the classroom and emphasize, Truths and lessons taught in the classroom and make students hungry for more uh, things to learn in the classroom. There's stuff that goes before class and they're after class. They're
0: students of life, Chris. Yeah. And you know
2: what they have here?
1: They, somebody started a group here called SPES, S-P-E-S, which you know means hope in Latin. And they – among the other things they do is they put little post-it notes on doors that say things like, you're doing better than you think you are. They, they chalk um, – inspirational Bible quotes on the sidewalks around. Nobody knows who they are, but they're just trying to improve the hope of the campus as we're all under lockdown and people are having anxiety and depression and stuff. It's just a beautiful service to the community. So smart. They're evangelizing. And so, yeah, it is a kind of evangelization. But that's what the, the catechism here says. The liturgy is not the whole activity of the church. I think that's where you're going,
2: Chris, right? That's exactly where I'm going. And See, that's why the church, so if what we said is true, we don't just show up and do liturgy. That's it. Nothing else. We don't do anything before it. We don't do anything. No, of course not. We do as, I cut you off there, at 1072, we there there has to be something that goes before it, this type of uh, evangelization. And then there has to be something that comes after it. The kind of extending the life of the liturgy into the real world through active charity and, and other things.
1: And they're all liturgy in this broad sense of the term. Mm -hmm. Profession, proclamation and the service and the worship.
0: This is something I I hear a lot in the ether about um, whether or not the liturgy at a parish done reverently and properly is a, is a tool for evangelization and discipleship because I think some people want to keep, that separate where it's like okay over here is where we create the encounter for Christ and then we can bring these people into the liturgy and um, and I think the opposite is is true just like you guys said it's not only the liturgy there's other stuff happening and so I hear these conversations happen a lot um, among people when they discuss the liturgy as its role properly in in this process of you know preaching the gospel and bringing more people into the to, to, to show them the heavenly realities.
1: Yeah, sure. You can't just throw somebody in the middle of something they don't understand. You have to invite them, teach them, because it has to be a free desire and free will offering of yourself uh, to God. And then hopefully what happens is you're transformed and then that makes the world better. And other people see that they want that too.
0: All right. I think this is uh this is a good place to stop and we can continue either next week or the week after. We'll see where this goes. Uh, Chris, I'm going to just play you a voice recording of this question and you just answer it, uh, and Dennis, you can go get more coffee because I think think you're empty over there.
2: (laughs) So why go to the Liturgical Institute? Well, if you want to serve the church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the magisterium but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition.
1: Mail Call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you
0: question me? Why do you care?
1: Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone?
0: Okay, this question comes from Anthony. Anthony says, Dear Liturgy Guys, thank you not only for the outstanding podcast, but for the work you each do to further sanctify sanctify the faithful.
1: Well, thank you, Anthony, and I'm sure you do, too.
0: So uh, we're just going to I'm just going to surmise this, Anthony, because it's kind of a long question and we have the general context here. So Anthony says that there is a mass that is usually celebrated in person. But because of covid, they're doing remote sites virtually in his diocese. And they were instructed for this celebration that they'll be live streaming. Excuse me. They will be live streaming the event at satellite locations. And they have been instructed to have enough consecrated hosts for all persons who are at each satellite location to be distributed during communion for the virtual mass. So uh, uh, this is another we should have a whole category of COVID <clears throat> questions, but this is a COVID question. Um, is this allowed? Can you just distribute consecrated hosts at a satellite uh, virtual uh, viewing of a virtual mass or a yeah, mass streamed?
2: What do I think? Yeah. Yeah, because
1: my first thought is, well, you could sit at home and watch it and receive, you know, make a spiritual communion. Why not sit at home and watch it and, or somewhere else and receive actual communion and make it a mm-hmm.
2: extension of kind of like a communion service? But then you're smarter than I am. So what do you think? Uh, well, I do think you're right. Uh, not that I'm smarter than you. I do think you're right that it, at least at first blush, it seems like what what's the problem with this? It seems pretty pretty reasonable. Um, but I. I don't think this is a, a legit option. Um, for this reason, is that you know, watching a mass virtually is not is not the same thing as participating in the mass. Right? You are not participating in a real physical sacramental way through distant means, through electronic means, and so it's kind of an artificial putting together of. a uh, a virtual participation in a mass and a real reception of Holy Communion. Um, If Holy Communion is received outside of mass, the church has rituals for that, already drawn up that are to be used. Okay. And those uh, are found uh, in, in a number of different books. One is called in a book called Holy Communion and Worship of the Eucharist Outside of Mass is where a person receives has rights for a person receiving outside of mass or pastoral care of the sick has uh, rights for a person receiving communion uh, as uh, somebody confined to a home or say to uh, another you know, prison or institution or a hospital or something like that. The point is that if a person receives the Eucharist outside of mass, the church already has rituals and those are the ones that ought to be followed. So I think putting these two together, while not entirely unreasonable, and again, at first reaction seemed to make some sense. It's not it's I I don't think it's what the mind of the church is on on doing this now. There, we've been kind of forced in a lot of different circumstances over this last year to come up with creative solutions and applications to some of the restrictions that we have. For example, this is another this is another question. Did you guys see in San Francisco when they had these uh, very strict limitations on who could go into church? You could only have mm-hmm. one person inside a church and only 12 people could gather together outside of church for mass. That uh, Archbishop Cordelion, uh had twelve concurrent celebrations of the mass. He had like twelve priests, sort of, kind of, celebrating at the same time. And they, what? And I remember seeing that. I thought, what's going on there? But see, the point is, in so many circumstances, we're trying to find legitimate adaptations that kind of safeguard the integrity of the liturgy and make it uh, beneficial for the people who are participating. In my opinion, what you're describing is not one of those.
0: So another variant of this that I've seen even before COVID is that my parish that I went to, they had a cry room that was separate from the nave and the narthex. It It was a completely different building on the campus. And they streamed the mass into the cry room through a television. and then when it was time for communion, you could leave and process into the church to receive communion. So I yeah. think that's that's what they're thinking here is that no no no, this is all one mass that you're viewing live, but you're just in a different location than we are.
2: Yeah, that's a t- that's a tough one. Um, you know so in that instance, Jesse, they're what 50 feet away from the action. What's yes. there between 50 feet and 50 miles, right? That neither of them are physically present. Why is the, what you're describing more legit? I mean, it's still not ideal. Everybody could agree on that. It's still not ideal, right. but it seems to be more in the neighborhood, so to speak, than someone who's, you know, half a county away. Yeah, I, I get this is, they're difficult questions with not obvious answers, but mm-hmm. uh um, no, no. I, you know, here's another one, too. I, we, we have, a, I think, is a very successful televised mass apostolate in the Diocese of La Crosse. And people will say that, you know, they'll have communion brought to them after the Sunday mass by an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion. And, and people will say, oh, it's great when they show up just in time. It sort of overlaps with, uh, coincides with yeah. uh, the TV mass. Seems more coherent, like
0: one thing. But those are read. two proper rights done according to the way that they've been prescribed, right? Well, if, so, the,
2: if the community minister does the right or if just said, oh, I happen right. to read Gordell <laughs> at the right time. <laughs> so, know, what do you think, Dennis? Give us a give us your take. Oh,
1: well, you're the guy who knows documents and rules and law, and so I'm hesitant to uh, to say anything compared right. to your genius answer. But I do think, it, to me, it... To separate reception and communion from some kind of rite, as you say, seems odd. On the other hand, you are participating virtually in the rite, and it seems like it's actually making more real the virtual participation. So uh, I don't know. If I were the bishop making this decision, I think I could go either way. Uh, not sure.
2: Well, I think what we can't agree on is if you were the bishop making this decision, it, 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 it's not an obvious decision. And I think you have to weigh pros and cons on both ends. if a bishop asked me though, I'd tell him not to not to do it
0: all right all right we will have to keep you to your word on that (laughs) but thank you for answering that question and uh anthony thank you for submitting the question i have a feeling we're going to have a lot more covid questions uh, as the weeks go on but if you want to ask us a question you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or you can tweet us at liturgyguys or you can tweet dennis at dmax supertaster
1: dot 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 colon slash asterisk exclamation point tastes more than you do close parentheses
0: and now that we know that it actually works, you can tie your question to a beer and send it to Chris and yeah. he will answer it. That's All right. right. Thank you. Thank you. And God bless.
1: The Liturgy Guys is brought to you by the Liturgical Institute at the University of St. Mary of the Lake at Aremus, Society for the Renewal of the Sacred Liturgy and the Center for Beauty and Culture at Benedictine College.
0: Now that's a podcast.